Welcome to Authorized, a podcast where we rapaciously read the novelization of any film fortunate enough to have one. Novelizations are a format in which you can add a dusting of historical context and social commentary onto an aggressively anti-reality work of allegedly historical fiction. Where a film contorts America's past into a wildly inaccurate steampunk romp with a cyborg villain, novelizations can further cannibalize that flight of fancy to somehow still fit the themes of societal and racial oppression that recorded history actually represents. We are your hosts, a loose coalition of novelization enthusiasts. My name is Andrew Overby. I'm Hannah Blackman. And I'm Andrew Marco. Wild Wild West is a hip-hop slash funk slash R&B song by American actor and musician Will Smith. It features American R&B group Drew Hill and rapper Cool Mo D. <laughs> Thank you for making me say that. I'm sure I sounded very hip and fresh. And prominently utilizes a sample from Stevie Wonder's 1976 hit, I Wish. The song was the recipient of the 1999 Golden Raspberry Award for Worst Original Song, which is insane, for a Blockbuster Entertainment Award for Favorite Song from a Movie, which makes more sense. But more importantly, for our purposes, Wild Wild West is a 1999 science fiction fantasy action comedy western directed by Barry Sonnenfeld based on a 1960s TV show, but to what extent, none of us know, because none of us have watched it. The film stars Will Smith and Kevin Kline as Jim West and Artemis Gordon, an odd couple pairing of U.S. law enforcement officers tasked with bringing to justice Dr. Arliss Loveless, a difficult name to say, and a Confederate figure. He's also like half-robot spider. The West's take-no-prisoners attitude. It's important to mention. You can laugh, but you know that it is. (laughs) The West's take-no-prisoners attitude seems a poor match for Gordon's whimsical lifestyle as an inventor and aspiring master of disguise, (laughs) which is a very delicate way to put it. Very, To make a more simpatico (laughs) team than his first apparent. The novelization Wild Wild West was written by Bruce Becky, based on a screenplay by, quote, S.S. Wilson, Ampersand, Brett Maddock, and Jeffrey Price, and Peter S. Seaman, end quote, which in turn is based on a story by Jim Thomas and John Thomas. Are they brothers? I hope so. (laughs) It was published as an Aspect movie tie-in under the Warner Brothers umbrella in 1999. Who is Bruce Bethke? Bruce Bethke is an American author best known for his 1983 short story, Cyberpunk, which led to the widespread use of the term cyberpunk and the naming of the cyberpunk subgenre. His novel Head Crash won the Philip K. Dick Award in 1995 for sci-fi original paperback, uh, best sci-fi original paperback published in the U.S. Uh, Bethke would go on to serve as a judge for that same award in 2013. Wild Wild West is to date Bruce Bethke's final novel, Uh, Bethke summarily dismisses the novel on his website, stating that it was how he paid for a new roof for his house. He currently lives in Minnesota and develops supercomputer software. Uh, Our guest today is Max Fitzpatrick, uh, a filmmaker and artist. Wanted me to mention he used to work at an art gallery. Might again someday. Who knows? Uh, And has the wonderful podcast, The Max and Tony Show. Uh, Max, how are you doing today? And how did you enjoy either... Uh, visiting or revisiting Wild Wild West. Um, so I'm I'm revisiting Wild Wild West, and uh, 
I just, you know, going into the movie, I realized I hadn't seen it in over 15 years, and I was sort of reminiscing over the parts that I really liked about it, and then realized I have no idea how this movie starts. I don't totally <laughs> remember how it ends, and I o- the only part I really remembered was, like, Will Smith's, like, smooth, like, kind of on-top-of-the-world act that he was doing, and then... um you know Artemis Gordon's like gadgets here and there which I want to I want to actually defend later in this podcast. <laughs> I don't think the gadgets are the problematic part of Artemis Gordon. Oh no, oh no 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 no. They're not. They're not. No no no. I I, I this is more of uh you know Jim West seems to seems to think they don't work and I I compiled a list of uh inventions that he um that that really do work in the mo- in in the book in the movie and actually um, I think he's a great scientist but yeah I, well, I'll, I'll we'll go down later I guess I even I the ones that backfire it's like they work exactly as intended just against the protagonists right right totally there's totally. basically no cases of the the inventions not working as intended yeah oh oh they definitely at least work uh, for at least one minute as we like we know in the <laughs> You know the hypnotism, the the hypnotism scene with McGrath and all and all that. But um, the, yeah, there's a. I want to start with the hypnotism scene in just a second because sure. it sticks in my mind, and also it's like right at the beginning. But before that, I mean, you kind of are talking about how the the film is. It's impossible yeah. to remember the order in which things happen. Like if you saw it a while ago, right. I think it's very evident that this film was written by four people based on a story by two other people. <laughs> it's not not super cohesive. Mm-hmm. And to my memory, the thing that, that like really, or to my mind rather, the thing that really stood out to me, because I, I had not seen Wild Wild West before, um, I read the book yeah. first, and then when I watched the movie, the, the Ted Levine character, mm-hmm. uh, if you only watch the movie, is this weird... You think he's the villain, and then he dies almost immediately. Right. So, I, I don't know. I, I just think that while it's like a fun story, it is obviously, it's obviously created by committee, in my mind. Yeah. Um, it's odd. It, it has like a Men in Black kind of factor to it, right? Like this remade old show, get Will Smith in there to spice it up, and it's going to be a hit. I feel like mm-hmm. Men in Black obviously went farther I feel like they did kind of open up a sequel. I would have watched Idea to Wild oh, Wild They West want the a sequel. They, they were definitely gunning for it. Uh, yes. But um, <laughs> but I, it, I think it was just a part of that time, right? The late 90s where they're like, yeah, let's let's remake this and throw Will Smith in there. And uh, let's, yeah, let's let's make it happen. I, I feel like that was, there was so many of those movies and there was so many... Um, I, I don't know, just so such half-ass, half-baked ideas, um, just remaking old shows. But um, I love this movie. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, there's something about it that's. I, I went in knowing I loved it, and then I left watching it after and being like, "Yeah, I, I still, I still hold this dear to my heart." For the listener at home, Hannah was fist bumping to the gods in the moment looking for a a soul brother or soul sister in the wild wild west cause 
You know, Max, you may not know this about me, but I'm a creature of notoriously, quote unquote, not good taste. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I also love Wild Wild West. It is very near and dear to me. I watched it a ton when I was younger mm-hmm. and thought it was delightful. And watching it now, I see the things about it that are not good, um, but I, I have fun. It's so right. fun for me. Right. The thing that makes Men in Black work that I think makes Wild Wild West a little tough is like what Men in Black doesn't have quite so much like historic racism they have to address right. and choose to aggressively, <laughs> nor is yes. it quite so casually homophobic. Which reading the uh, reading the book because I read the book and then rewatched the movie, I was like, I don't remember the movie being this casually homophobic, right? But it is. Yeah. Oh, the end. Oh, and, it is. Yeah, and I was it like, is. I kind of remember them kind of hopping around the racism, and then in the movie, I'm like, oh, whoa, there's okay, there's a there, scene it's in there. Where Will Smith and Kenneth Branagh just exchange slurs. So this might be a good time for me to jump in and say. I did not read the book, which might be a theme on a few of these episodes, but I did watch the movie, and I did read the Wikipedia page of the TV show. So I hope to be the insightful source of knowledge there, but I'm excited to hear what things they added for the book, because, oh boy, this movie's already a lot. (laughs) Right. Andrew, uh, Hannah and I were were texting about this earlier, just because we were talking about the, the intro, and, um... Do you know the difference between when screenwriters have the and between their name and the ampersand? It seems that the ampersand is uh, teams. I You mentioned S.S. Wilton and Brent Maddox. Andrew, you re- might remember. That's the team who did all the Tremors movies. Wow. <laughs> and the Visionaries. They visionaries. love the Tremors they, movies. <laughs> the first four, at least. And uh, the Thomas Brothers, I know, did Predator. So I think if they have an ampersand, the assumption would be that's a team. And then they brought in two other guys to be like, can we add a giant spider? Well, we'll get into that. Right. By that logic. <laughs> yeah, that's the so story. We're familiar we with this anecdote, right? The the Kevin Smith yes. anecdote? Okay. Yes. okay. I am not. Oh. I'm, I'm apparently really ill prepared. This is like so. the... the oh, you, this, you're, <laughs> in for, you're in for surprise. Yeah, this might be the most important thing Kevin Smith ever did in his career was this anecdote. <laughs> Okay, someone tell it. Uh, I, I just watched the uh, the video like ten minutes ago, so I'm a little <laughs> okay. Go. Right. Okay, so Kevin Smith was offered basically um, a Superman project by Warner Brothers. Um, Superman Lives. If you type in Kevin Smith Superman Lives, you will find this two parter uh, anecdote. And he teams up with this uh, producer John Peters uh, to make the movie and. It's really, it's really funny how he gets into it because he's like, "Man, I tell these guys this movie sucks. I, I could do so much better." And then like they give him the project, and he's like, "Oh shit, here we go!" And he teams up with John Peters, who's uh, like, by all accounts, this complete Hollywood whack job. And he starts to be like, "Hmm, let, tell me what you envision, and tell me all these things." So Kevin Smith starts pitching all this stuff, and he goes, "Yeah, he goes, here's what I want. I can't have Superman wear the f- suit." Which is like, okay, I kind of maybe get that. And then it's, he can't fly. Now you're kind of asking for a lot. And he goes, and he has to fight a giant spider in the end. <laughs> sure enough, none of this gets worked out. None of this none of this is done. Uh, Kevin Smith essentially gets paid months for, you know, just developing a cool idea that mm-hmm. potentially might get made. But sure enough. paid off. Yeah, years later. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> he goes into a, a movie uh, called Wild Wild West, and uh, sure enough, he sees the ending, and his jaw is is dropped, and he's he's shocked. But yeah, I mean that's that's kind of like the origin of this huge spider. That producer Wait. said, "I'm going to get that spider into a movie somewhere." Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You may have just said this, but the the spider that he pitched was mechanical, because otherwise, did he also feel that way during Chamber of Secrets and Lord of the Rings? <laughs> like big spiders are all over. Right. Yeah. I don't. I don't know. I don't know what the idea was during the Superman movie, whether it was going to be mechanical or or a real spider. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. But um, I'm glad it happened. Before we get off the John Peters talk though he does loom large in this movie uh, I just, I'm reading from his Wikipedia, it seems to be my job now uh, he was Barbara Streisand's hairdresser and got his start producing yeah, he got his start start producing A Star is Born her, her version uh, but his more significant roles he did the two Caddyshack films No Giant Spiders uh, The Witches of Eastwick, could have used a giant spider probably Batman, which is where he got in that Warner Brothers relationship. And then a bunch of movies, you know, Tango and Cash, Money Train, the first one. Uh, and, you know, not as much until Wild Wild West. So, not a lot of room for giant spiders, but he's there. He's- I'm glad he was thinking about it. And he was like, I, I know in my heart that I And want he produced, uh, <laughs> and someday. he did produce the Brian Singer Superman's movie and the Lady Gaga Star is Born. So, That's he's right. still out there. He wow. eventually got Superman too. He got his Spider and he got a Superman movie. I want to be John Peters uh, <laughs> in the next lifetime. You know, whenever that is. Uh, so I w- I want to talk about just the beginning of this book because first off, it it does insert a scene. Oh, I'm sorry, the opposite. Right, the movie has a scene that's not in the book to tell. Um, which is that unless I'm misremembering this I, I read and watched them very close together but doesn't the movie have the the scene of someone dying at the beginning at the hand of McGrath yes yeah it has not the scientist the who gets his head cut off um, right and the Whereas, book also doesn't have an opening credit sequence if you can believe that <laughs> okay I Anna, forgot I'll all back off <laughs> opening credits totally had blanked that out of my brain and then while I so I watched the movie on HBO I don't know how you watched it but it had in parentheses after Wild Wild West theatrical version. And I thought, <laughs> how interesting. So I'm watching the movie, I haven't seen it in 15 years, pretty much like you. And I was like, oh, maybe I always saw some other version because I don't remember this opening scene and I do not remember this opening credit sequence, which is styled like a 60s TV yeah, show. Totally. Which must be what the 60s I TV I can show confirm that is like, the right, style of the opening 60s TV show. How fun. Throwbacks. <laughs> But I was like, I don't know what this is. And then it all started to come back. It became more and more familiar as we went through. So we start, and th- we start with McGrath killing this scientist. Mm-hmm. And the scientist whose head will later be uh, used in a, in a pivotal way. Um, which, once again, really positions him as the villain. Which makes it very confusing when he will then like go on to die 30 minutes into the film or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um he but feels like something a much that more I f- important character in the book too. I, I would yes, say. yes. This was this reminded me a lot of. I'm holding up the book for dramatic effect. This reminded me a lot of uh, Revenge of the Sith. I know I'm always reminded of the book we just read, but 
uh, the way Revenge of the Sith beefs up Dooku's mm. role in the story, when in the movie it's like, oh, look, it's Dooku beheaded. It's like right. in this, when you read the book Wild Wild West, you're like, oh, uh, McGrath is the primary antagonist for the first act, you know? Um but speaking of the book, the first thing that I thought was really miscalculated about the book was that it does not convey the tone, in my opinion, of the movie very well. It does not convey that, like, we are supposed to be sort of in a goofy mindset, that, that the, that the while the stakes are high, that, uh, you know, there's laughs to be had. And the first time that I sort of rubbed up against that was... In the scene uh, that sort of opens the book, uh, where there's this huge set piece where Jim West is in the water tower and, you know, the water tower falls and he's spying on uh, these criminals who are working for General McGrath. And that, that, that eventually leads him to McGrath. And then for anyone who hasn't seen this movie or read the book, if you haven't done either, what are you, why are you listening to this? <laughs> um, but... Um, this is sort of like how Jim West meets um, meets Artemis Gordon, is that Artemis Gordon is working the McGrath case from another angle. He's pretending to be a sex worker. And, and there's this moment where Jim West is looking in the window of this like brothel, and Artemis Gordon is making his big move against McGrath, which is opening up his belt buckle and hypnotizing him with this, like, swirling thing within. And it was not apparent to me, reading just the prose, that the spinning thing was a silly-looking toy. I thought, this is the villain reveal at the beginning of the book. Because, like, opening your belt buckle and having, like, a, what I thought was a magic portal that hypnotized people was so sinister. <laughs> I was like... I thought it was brilliant. I was like, oh, he's hunting this guy and he's about to encounter like a supernatural terror. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah. That's so and instead interesting. instead it's Kevin Klein and drag. Exactly. Yeah. I, I agree with you that I think the tone of the movie and the tone of the book are totally different. I like the tone of the book. To divorced from the film like reading it as a book I was like I'm engaged in the characters I'm engaged in the story I'm finding it compelling things that are supposed to be like the Artemis Gordon in drag thing which does not play as a surprise in the movie because like Kevin Klein is not successfully pulling that off or he is yeah. not passing as a woman sorry Hannah you were saying you like the tone of the book I do I mean like for me, reading the book, having not seen the movie in a while, I remembered that this woman is Artemis Gordon in drag, but I then uh -huh. was like, maybe in the movie it is a female actress, and then there is a reveal where it is Kevin Klein. And how fun for that to be a surprise. In the movie, it is not a surprise, and it does feel like another level of homophobia that I was like, I don't, I would prefer this a little bit better if he was good at this. Right. Like, if there's one thing that doesn't totally work, it's um, well, that she doesn't Hannah, pass is it, is it actually, and I could be totally wrong, but is it actually kind of right-headed instead of wrong-headed in that while 
we the audience are not fooled. He does seem to fool everyone he attempts the ruse on. I do like that he fools everyone. Um, yeah, I mean, that. I agree. I think that is good. <laughs> I mean, it, we're really seeing like a failure on the part of like, I guess the like wardrobe. I don't know. I get the feeling that the production as a whole was like, wouldn't it be funny to look at Kevin Klein in a dress? Not this character is trying mm. to successfully do something. You know, that's a that's a great point. And it, it definitely is meant to just be like a sight gag. Yeah. And I, I'm coming at it having read the book first and thinking like, oh, it is like, you, you know, it the book, it, it takes a much more um, goal oriented approach to it. Where it's like, he is trying to do this thing for the greater good. And in the movie, it's much more like, look at this. Isn't this funny? It feels more mean-spirited. Isn't he a weird guy? Yes, Isn't he maybe a fairy? (laughs) Like, I would not... It's almost surprising me that there isn't some point where Jim West is like, you know, it could... could, I'm not going to say it, but it feels like many things could be said. And I wouldn't be surprised if the movie went there. You know? The the thing... The thing about the sexuality in this uh, movie that made me feel like it was written by a teenager is <laughs> in the beginning when when uh, Artemis Gordon is like trying to seduce McGrath, that kind of makes sense to me because they're in like, you know, a place of sex work. And so it sort of fits the ending in which West dresses up as a woman <laughs> is such a break with even the reality of this ridiculous film. Right. Because, like, I get it. Like, guys be horny. Like, I get that. (laughs) But, like, if I was executing my evil plan and then some woman came out of nowhere and started trying to seduce me in, like, a public place, I would not be like, this is a cool turn for things to take. It's just so out of... It's so out of place and it makes loveless so looks so stupid that he like buys into it there is so much to discuss about like loveless's sexuality in particular like yeah because they make it very clear that he does not have the thing you know his dick and balls but like for him (laughs) then to be like no 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 i'm very horny for every single woman right is like clearly compensation what are you doing man and then to detract your whole plan in front of a bunch of European investors just to prove to everybody that you would still like to fuck if you could. I agree. Very silly. It, there, there's a slight break, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if I can find the... Um, maybe I'll have you guys keep talking. But there's a slight break in the way they discuss his sexuality in the book and in the movie. Because in the movie, he's like... I could build something to have sex with, don't you think? Right, right. And in the book, I'm going to try to find the wording, but in the book, he it's something more like, no, I can do that. Yeah. Where he's like, he almost suggests that he built that as part of his anatomy already. I actually, yeah, I think I have the page saved. There's a, I had this in my note. He, he says something about, like, him being able to invent some sort of sex machine. I feel like it, it, it has this like here implication I have to the it. Page number and here. then he goes hard pumping and I, and I put in my notes, hard pumping sounds like a porn hub uh, category, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I'm just, he's so lewd. It's yeah. yeah. Okay. And he also makes it racial. This is, this book is so uncomfortable, right? Yeah. The, yeah. Uh, I think so, so he says, 
No, you go. He says, yes, Captain West, I'm sure that a well-endowed, and then he, you know, uses a, a half-slur, um, such as yourself, must find it absolutely incomprehensible that a white woman might enjoy carnal pleasure with a freak mm-hmm. such as myself. But having witnessed my usage of mechanology thus far, don't you think it would be child's play for me to create a machine that replicates the lower half of a male body, provides the requisite pumping action, and is both remarkably well-equipped and indefatigably steely. steely. Now, I see now, having having watched the movie, that he's saying, I could make that, Mm -hmm. but I thought he was saying when I read the book... I, I mean, I have made that. obviously, I made that. <laughs> yeah, and then, also, like, so many other ways to have sex. I mean, Hannah, I hate to say this, but this is the first I'm hearing of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, doesn't the movie's cutaway imply that the device, which we find out is just, like, the spider saw magnet machine, that looks like a, yes, like the- a thumping penis. <laughs> right. And... and yeah. We should go to our uh, beautiful photos in the middle of the book here. Um, <laughs> Which are in black and white on book page paper. They are not the usual <laughs> glossy center pages. They're truly... Did we get a picture of the weird thing? They, they, these look like... They, they're, it's the last photo. These look like they're in the sun. They look like... Oh, the, yeah. All the photos look like they've been in the sun. <laughs> it is the very last photo. I mean, that's the lasting image you want to go out on. So I had to sit on the train reading one page with a picture of a mechanical dick on the other <laughs> page. Wow. I said I, I was at, um, I was flying back from Colorado and I, I was watching the movie and I, <laughs> I had not been talking to the guy next to me and I turned to him and I said, um, I, I'm in a sort of book club where we read the novelizations of films and we watch the movies and I'm just telling you this because I don't want you to think I have bad taste. <laughs> <laughs> Can't believe he didn't say, oh, can I watch it with you? <laughs> Absolutely. I agree with the gender politics in that film. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I think I'm the only one who has any knowledge of the TV show. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes. Did you know on the TV show, Loveless is a character? No. no. And he is not a paraplegic, any sort of disabled person. He is just, to go back, I don't know what the correct term is, he is a, a dwarf, a little person. He is just a small guy. And he has a buddy played by Richard Keel from the James Bond series, who is his tall friend. And that's his thing. He's in like 10 episodes of the 100 episodes of the series. But Loveless's thing in the show is that he's a little person. And not whatever they chose to do in this movie slash book novelization. Do you think in 1999 they were like, well, we just don't have any little people actors? This was post Spy Who Shagged Me. Say, I have many me. Yeah. Right. I know. Or did they say, we want Kenneth Branagh. Wait a second. He's six feet tall. What can we do to make him shorter? It's unclear. They also <laughs> changed his first name. And they change his backstory. I don't think he has any sort of Confederate roots, though. And this might be... Again, I read the Wikipedia page of the show. They did not change a lot. It takes place in the Reconstruction era. President Grant is there. They have a train. They're Jim West and Artemis... Gordon. 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 I'm so sorry. (laughs) Apology to all the Gordon stands. Is the the train called The Wanderer still? It is called The Wanderer. So they... 
because I, I saw they had some glory shot in the film. This is not the book I understand of the number five. So I had to assume this is from the show, which led my Wikipedia wandering, I should say. But yeah, mm-hmm. it maintains a lot of the stuff. But as we'll get into, it changes Jim West to a black man in that era. And it really changes Loveless, his entire trajectory, personality, everything that's going on in his life. Now, w- we should highlight that because you kind of just said that very quickly. But as as Hannah was pointing out earlier, that Jim West's race is changed. Yes. Or his ethnicity. Yes. Can I talk about Jim West? Like the, the yeah, just like him in the book versus the movie. I, I just think Will Smith and like, I just think he is completely absent from the book, obviously. I mean, you're talking about like a, a superstar that probably had free range to do whatever he wanted on set, you know. But... I just, when I read Bruce Betke, I think a lot of this, like, low-key racism ties into, like, he's, like, not writing for, like, Will Smith. He's writing for, like, his idea of, like, what a black guy is on screen. When I read Jim West, I read, like, Richard Pryor or, like, an Eddie Murphy type of thing. I don't read Will Smith. And I think there's, like, I think that ties into with a lot of, like, this detachment. Like, there's this one awful line in Chapter 3. It's like, President wants to rap with me. And I felt like that was his one, Betke's one one thing of, like, squeezing in some poor reference to Will Smith's musical career. Like, I I, I was just like, there is just (laughs) such a detachment to, like who will smith is and like what this movie became and it just it really felt like yeah he was writing for a different actor i agree there's one moment in the book where i was like oh i can see will smith doing it and it's the part where they're they have the magnets on and jim west is like what i'm not supposed to step over this line i'm in the line i'm out of the line i'm in i'm out but then he doesn't do it in the movie he doesn't do it in the movie which felt so it's also a thing where like there's a lot of stuff in this book where he is verbally quoting other pieces of media like Mm -hmm. he does like star wars stuff there's a star trek thing there's like a butch sundance and the Sundance and Butch Casting and the Sundance Kid. Sorry. Can I say it again? I know what that sure. movie's called. Butch, Butch Sundance and the Sundance Kid. <laughs> yeah, you know. Sundance, yeah. Sundance, Robert Redford. Kiss, 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 kiss. Um, oh my God, Hannah, we get it. You went to Sundance. <laughs> never, never in my life. Um, but there's all of these things that I was like, is this one piece of I'm in, I'm out, I'm in, I'm out. Is that good Will Smith writing? Or is that a reference to something because it feels very familiar and it happens to overlap with the Will Smith persona. Mm-hmm. I, you know what I hated that they cut out of the they cut out of the book and put in the movie the part where their magnets are attached and like the magnet gets attached to the buckle and like all the, that's not in the book, right? Okay, no. okay, no, yeah, okay. It, which seems like a, given how like uncomfortable this book is with being close to other men. <laughs> A sequence where your face is so close to your friend. Belt buckle. Crash. You'd think there'd be an opportunity for Betkey to get in some uh, some homophobia <laughs> there. Can I ask, does sure does. does the Kevin Klein read in the script? Yes. Or in the book, I should say? Better. Yeah. Much better than the, the Yeah. I could, having not seen the movie, I really saw Kevin Klein in the book. I'm not sure that Kenneth Branagh comes through, though. No. Oh my god, but this is the weirdest Kenneth Branagh performance oh ever. God. I mean, 
it's such it's such a simple change. It's like take this guy and have him do the hokiest southern accent and he just seems like a completely different man. And he has very dark hair, which is a huge change for Kenneth Branagh, a natural mm-hmm. blonde. Oh, especially in the yes. 90s when he was doing like bleach blonde for Hamlet. Uh, I <laughs> not to focus too much on the wonderful world of Wikipedia. Do you know who was considered for the role of Jim West before they signed Will Smith? No. Well, the initial development of the show was to have Richard Donner, RIP direct with a Shane Black script with Mel Gibson as Jim West. And wow. after Mel, for one reason or another, dropped out, they tried to get Tom Cruise to play Jim West. <laughs> and he said, absolutely uh, fucking not, you insane people. <laughs> but Will eventually comes on board. For Artemis Gordon, they pursued George Clooney, Matthew McConaughey, and Johnny Depp before deciding on Kenneth Klein. Uh, Kevin Klein. They really ended up in the right place. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really weird that you would go somewhere, though. I, and again, I only watched the movie. Every time I looked away and heard Kevin Klein speak, I heard David Hyde Pierce. Yeah, I, I understand. He's doing a sort of like, I think Kevin Klein is inherently kind of like fancy, but I think he's putting on a, an extra fancy voice. Because he, he is, is a fancy I- boy. I found the character in the book and in the film to be legitimately very funny. Um, (laughs) I I much prefer the Artemis Gordon half. No knock on Will Smith, who I love, but Kevin Klein's just Kevin Klein's giving us what we need. Something I I really enjoyed, just going back to sort of the the vague beginning of the movie, is uh, uh, Gordon reveals pretty early that his uh, that he does Aikido. The, the Steven Seagal uh, martial <laughs> art, which um, I, I think I told uh, you guys via text that while I was in Colorado, I was staying with this guy who used to be a production assistant on all these old movies, and at one point, he's tell- talking to me about working on Under Siege 2, the Steven Seagal train movie, and I, I made a joke about Aikido, and this guy, this like 75-year-old guy without missing a beat, just launches into an unabashed defense of Aikido. He was like, yeah, it's really tough the way, you know, that's harder than other martial arts because you're using other people's energy against them. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, I was joking around. He's like, yeah. <laughs> he just loved, he just had so much respect for it and for Seagal. <laughs> There's another moment in the book where Salma Hayek, who we have not mentioned yet, is described as having Cindy Crawford hair which is another, like, anachronism, except that one, like, slapped me in the face. Like, I was willing <laughs> to say I think Aikido could exist, like, in the 1870s. Sidney Crawford So, not. So tell me, is there more to Selma Hayek's character than what we get in the film? Because I feel like she's, if not underwritten, it feels like a lot of her performance is on the cutting room floor. So does the, the book elaborate on her backstory? Not really. I mean, it, it 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 seemed like if anything stayed true to the movie, it was her character. Really, it's the same lines, damn near, uh, same ending, same arc of of what goes on. You know, compared to like you know, say Artemis Gordon. You know, where we get the big twist from him. She's the same throughout the movie, and it's it's a flat character in the book as well. I hate to say it. Um, but it's you know they don't give her a lot to do besides like say he's so courageous he's so 
handsome. It, 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 and it's it, it sucks because Salma Hayek is amazing. And there's potential there with a character who's playing these two guys against each other to get what she yeah. wants, and neither the book or the movie are like doing anything with that when it's she, halfway there. She really only exists to get these two characters to do funny jokes. Like the the joke where they're leaving her and Kevin Klein's looking out the train window and we see him through one window, then we get a bit of train wall, and we see him through another window, and he has completely changed pose, so <laughs> that he is like the saddest puppy dog. So yes, he's doing puppy dog eyes, but he's perfectly framed in both windows, which are at different angles. A legitimately very funny joke, but it's like a perfect encapsulation of the Selma hike issue, which is that they just put her there to get these men to be funny. She doesn't really get anything yeah. of her own. And then we see her butt. But the movie does not include the butt gag with whatever her name is, East. Oh. oh the imprint. The, the imprint. imprint. Yes. yes. We do see her butt sit on the map, and then there's no payoff. Is that I, right? I thought to myself, and yes. I mean, she yes. does place oh her God. buttocks on the desk, I, but then he's already looked at the map, so like he doesn't need it. Hannah, that makes me, th that makes me think they shot it. I would, I bet. Yeah, and that she, they didn't Miss, use it, yeah. Miss East is also a character who uh, is underused and then immediately killed with no fanfare. Like, she spends half that ball beat. You're like, ooh, this is the, maybe she's the sexy love interest of the movie. And then, no, murdered. <laughs> immediately murdered. Yeah, let me find the, that passage because it actually upset me a lot. Do-do-do-do... Um, <laughs> Okay, what, whatever he was going to say, it died there, along with May Lee East, who lay sprawled across the desk with a single round and bloody bullet hole through her forehead. Gently, Jim West eased her body to the floor and covered her decently. Then he ejected the spent cartridge from his pistol, loaded a fresh one, buttoned up his fly, and headed back to the party, all while, hope, all while hoping that no one had noticed the gunshots over the sounds of the fireworks outside. I thought it was really crass given how horny he was being he yeah. was like all over her and then she gets accidentally shot in the head and he's like gotta go <laughs> i'm There's, sorry yeah there were fireworks it was a celebration the yeah. party where the um, celebration of what yeah. racism yeah. No, yeah, yeah, Loveless yeah, coming way, like yeah. back from it the was dead. Honestly, yes. <laughs> um, I mean. there, there seems to be this battle of the tones here, where he doesn't—he really wants to go really violent, and then he wants to stay true to like the wholesomeness of the movie at the same time, and it's not working. And it's totally clear in like passages like this, and like um, the next chapter where it's like the brutality is upped a bit, and they kill all those Confederate soldiers with that like tank thing and it's so comedic mm, that's a brutal touch of writing yeah. and in the movie it doesn't do it justice because they could only get like 40 no. 40 extras for this scene and they got a bird's eye view <laughs> shot it's only 40 people in the book they describe it's like hundreds were slaughtered and it's like it's like this bloodbath it's like this comedic really like John Woo-esque like kind of action scene where everybody's just getting blown away from this bird's eye view um, and the, the description of the tank in the book is terrifying. like is it a tank? I don't, it's so yes. scary and in the movie you're like oh well, that's like a small tank it's so tank. bad 
Yes, they keep comparing it to the Monitor, the the famous yeah. warship from the Civil War, which makes me think that a uh, what is it called? Not a battleship. What's the other one called from Battleship? A destroyer. A destroyer. It makes me think that a destroyer is gonna like climb up onto land and kill all these guys. And in the in the movie, it's like, oh, it's just like Loveless's older robot brother. <laughs> like it's, like, it's like a little bigger than him. <laughs> it is very effective at killing, but it's not as scary as I. No. You know, from reading. The I could fit that thing in like a forerunner. <laughs> it was probably constructed for shooting on a forerunner chassis. Imagine when yes! they, when they brought oh. it out and built it, and the director was Sonnenfeld was probably just like, ah, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you could. He's just talking himself up on set. He's like, it's about the damage it causes, not what it looks like. <laughs> Don't forget, there's a big spider later, so this doesn't have to be the scariest thing in the movie. <laughs> yeah, the excitement I felt reading the book does not translate into the movie, and I was more disappointed in the movie than I have ever been before in my life because I had gotten hyped up by, I think, a decent book. <laughs> Not yeah. great, but not bad. Uh, well, I think what Bethke brings to it is valuable. I he he goes pretty hard into, and now I I wasn't able to figure this out via research, so I could just be wrong. But my theory is that he did have the script on hand, and that either he chose not to include jokes, or more likely, Will Smith was improvising a lot on the day. And so he didn't have access to like, like for example, the redneck joke is good. It's not. It's just unequivocally <laughs> funny. The joke where he's, the joke where Will Smith is about to be hanged, and he's like, "Come on, let's all get together. Rednecks aren't so right. bad. Red, that's the color of passion and love. And neck. Well, and the whole and the dr- neck. The whole, the whole drum. <laughs> and I don't have also. something and, for neck. Uh, yeah, <laughs> just drumming on boobies. It's a way of saying, yeah. "Hey." How you doing? How's your mother? Very funny. There's only one yeah. guy who could have wrote that. That's Will Smith. That's why he was cast. No, so <laughs> so I think that Bethke didn't have those jokes on hand, and I think he doesn't. I, I doubt he would have used them, even if he was able to like view the film, because he seems interested. His take on this novelization. I mean, it starts off. What's the first line of the? Oh God, book? the it's, first line is uh, awful. Starts heavy. This made me close the, the book. The prologue is. <laughs> The Civil Civil War swept across the American South like a devastating flood. Oh, I thought you were talking about chapter one. Can I read the... the, No. (laughs) The empty freight wagon thundered through a night as black as a mortgage banker's heart. I closed (laughs) the damn book and and had a laugh, and I I, I was just like, you know, I'm good for the night. I'll get it tomorrow. (laughs) The, The opening chapter is so, like playing at a type of novel and a type of story that it then kind of abandons. Yes. I appreciate the effort, yes. though. Does he but, embrace the Civil War of it all? Like, does he like the history? Oh, that, yeah. That's what I'm sort of getting at, is, like, Bethke's thing, I think, is that he's going, okay, I see that this is a piece of fluff cinema, that it sort of doesn't have much substance to it, but I'm going to try to pepper in some weight. So I think, from my perspective, Bethke is really invested in the Jim West character arc. The fact that he's he wants vengeance, he wants vengeance from a place that's understandable to everyone, which is my family was killed, but also from this place of, like, you know, uh, historical 
oppression, which is like, you know, I, I, it seems to me that if anything, the book is trying to sort of beef up that aspect. I think it's very interesting that when they have the moment in the desert together where Will Smith reveals his tragic backstory and Artemis Gordon is very sensitive to that and then presents his own tragic backstory, the movie says only one of those. And I think they choose the correct right. one. Like the Artemis Gordon tragic backstory is absurd. <laughs> I <laughs> love honestly it. like made me close the book and Google who is in the cast of our American cousin. <laughs> So Hannah, you have, to, you have to. Yes, yeah, please explain this to me. You have to say I'm a listener. I have not read the book. Artemis Gordon's tragic backstory is that he did not attend a college. He wasn't always in the army or whatever. He His Harvard ring is a fake. It's a fake, which the movie does not go into, which is fine. He can just be an intellectual guy. But in the book, he was an actor who was on stage at Ford's Theater in Our American Cousin the night that Lincoln was shot. And he didn't do anything to stop John Wilkes Booth because he thought, well, that guy's weird. It's not my business. And then his president was murdered. Whoa, 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 whoa. What, what would he have done? He was on stage. Andrew, the thing <laughs> is that he has guilt over this the way that, like, school shooting right. survivors have guilt. Right. His guilt yeah. is like... I should have seen it coming that John Wilkes Booth, this guy I worked with at that theater, was becoming yeah. an angry oh. nut. So he's he's in the and same troop as him, right? He shouldn't wasn't in the no. And John Wilkes Booth historically was not in the play. He had no reason to be backstage that night. Everyone was just like, well, he's like an actor of town. He hangs around, so like it's fine. But it wasn't. Um, that's believable, is, though, right? As like yeah. theater kids, that's a hundred percent believable. Yeah. And that's what happened. So for Artemis Gordon to be like, I didn't know, and I didn't do anything, and I should have, and it was my joke during which he killed the president. <laughs> he still got his laugh, and then people got upset. That is the thing that really, like, I was already a little like, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second, and like history. And then the fact that it's like, not only was he in the play, but he had the laugh line during which Lincoln was shot. I was like, I must close the book and do some history research, because that can't be. Like, what was, I had to look up the name of the actual guy who was not Artemis Gordon. But this explains why Kevin Klein was in Lincoln. I always wondered when I saw that movie, <laughs> why is Kevin Klein in this scene? And now it's all a big cinematic universe. <laughs> Were you guys disappointed as I was that um, the the president thing was handled in the way that it was that he wasn't wearing like a mission impossible mask or oh, something. that it was just weird yeah i want to know what is grant in the book he's just the president but since it's the book it's easier for them to be like and then gordon removed xx and x and he, it was you know or it was obviously gordon not grant whereas in yeah. the movie they have to have it also be kevin klein or else it's they can't make believable. the trick work exactly um, I was I was very let down by that. I was excited for like an amazing makeup job. Yeah, I forgot I forgot that um, Kevin Klein just plays Grant. I I, I had to for look some it reason up. thought it was a different actor. Me too. I IMDb'd it mid movie, and I was like, oh, that's Kevin Klein too. Okay. The Grant look is different enough. I was just very excited to see Grant be played by like you know 
uh, John Goodman or somebody <laughs> and see them like make the right. transformation work. <laughs> I'm always pleased when it's a, like in the later Mission Impossible movies to keep the thread when it's a totally different actor and then they're like cut to mask reveal it was Tom Cruise all along <laughs> yes you know where you're like totally fooled because they've really mastered the mask technology so here's my question this for those who read my letterboxd review I was very excited about all the women in STEM that love lace you know as bad as he is you know, he was really given women jobs and they seem to be very helpful in his organization. Do they have any sort of interiority or expansion in the novel? I think one of them is a lesbian. Would you know which one? Um, let me see if I can find it. You guys talk. There was one of them whose name was like Miss... Lip and like, reader. Lip and reader. Yeah. She Does, reads lips. Just for that one joke that she <laughs> yeah, reads lips. Yeah. And then for the rest of like 200 pages, they're yeah. calling her so lip one and of reader. So one of them goes <laughs> out pretty dark and disturbing. Uh, she gets caught up in a propeller and that's how she dies. So this is where the violent tone starts to kind of take over. And it's like, it doesn't know whether it wants to be this like gory but it's probably like the goriest book I've read. I I, I mean, it's just, it, it's super weird. It's like I, getting caught up in a propeller. I was like, that's definitely not in the movie. Oh, I mean, as you say, Max, the movie is just people being kicked off of green screens. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And then with Wilhelm screams or something, it, I doubt, I doubt there is a Wilhelm scream in there, but. So on this violent strong. subject, the, there's the, the whoop-in sequence uh, that takes up far too long in the film where, you know, Will Smith is fighting a guy with knife hands and Derek Mears with a metal head. And my question is, is that scene expanded in the novel? Do we get to learn about metal guy head and knife guy heads? No. Those guys aren't in the book at all. Those guys aren't even in the book. part of the film. He only fights the Dracula's wives. (laughs) Like... Yeah, those guys and I, yeah. I also thought in the movie that when um, Loveless transformed into like um, that he wasn't that scary. No, he became like taller Loveless, <laughs> and he didn't. Those look... legs don't seem sturdy enough. No, you know, that's he exactly seems a it. little in, delicate. In my mind, he like um, becomes like a tank out of nowhere, like these parts like coming out of thin air. And in the in the movie, it's like. He got a foot taller. He's taller than Will now. <laughs> I think the problem is that the legs are spider legs. They don't become human legs. So the structural element doesn't feel sturdy. And like Kenneth Branagh is a broad guy. And then like you, there's nothing there underneath to carry the broadness. Yeah, it, it feels like the book did a lot more justice to like describing the machine like I, I, like like the machine uh, or the tank previously in that chapter where it's it's blowing all these soldiers away the spider just sounds a lot scarier than what it is in the actual movie i i'm sure it's because of the special effects and and all that but i think um you know i i don't know that that description of of the leg about to squash jim west's head you know those those descriptions i i, I just feel like that's just a lot more terrifying to me than whatever I was seeing uh, in the movie. Yeah, when the foot comes off Jim West's face in the movie, it's like, it does not feel like he was in mortal danger. <laughs> it's like, it, he, he sort of brushes it off and it's like, oh, I got a little imprint on my face, whatever. <laughs> also, when he is shot off of climbing up the leg, 
that sequence in the book is also like, well, I guess he's dead. Like it feels. Why really... did he lay dead that long? <laughs> right, like I think he was knocked unconscious, you know. But in the movie, you're just sort of like, ooh, he got swatted, and then he's fine. Um, it's a much yeah. more like compelling little cliffhanger in the book. In the book, I was very confused because they're talking about how, like, vultures are circling him. And I was like, is he playing dead for two hours? What the hell is going on? (laughs) Uh, um, Oh, yeah, the the Air Gordon joke. That was bad, right? I loved it. I laughed. so. That is so (laughs) funny that you said that. I laughed like crazy. I don't know why. Um, I... Yeah. All of his like bad names for his inventions and then one pretty good name. I mean, that's a great how setup about, payoff. How I about can't the complain. book? This was the laziest one. Auto Mecha Pick Omatic. It was the laziest invention. I wait, I'd like to uh actually take this opportunity since we're talking about uh his inventions. I'd like to take this time to defend Artemis Gordon and uh and just say he is a really great inventor. Um first first of all, he he tricks Jim West and and many men like such as McGrath into into pretending he he is a prostitute. Is a prostitute. So, you know, something is working there. I I you know, it's not doesn't age well, but you know, he he he, he pulls it off. The it works right, better the, on the page. Uh, the picolocometer yeah, right. uh or what picomatic uh thing. Uh, it helped get info. He broke into something, he got some info. He got vital info from a decapitated head. Um, has a bike that's fast as shit and dust West's horse. Um, he is, he's designing the first bulletproof vest that I can, you know, know, that I know of. Um, has his own train, the Wanderer, which is badass in the book and in the movie. And he broke them out of the magnetic collars somehow. Uh, well, he did it in the movie through his like little lock set. West couldn't do that. And why I'm saying this is like, <laughs> there's this zinger in the movie and in the book where it's like, it's nice to see an invention that actually works. And I'm just kind of sitting in my couch like, you know, why does that bother me? And it's like, oh, because all of his inventions kind of work. It's like, you're just jealous. Even his springy rope. Yeah. His springy oh, rope the works stringy ro- perfectly can we, can multiple in- times. Yes, can we just in general sort of talk about <laughs> Loveless's party and which Loveless is introduced? So... Early I on think in the I would film. also like, if we can discuss perhaps why his deal is spiders, is there an answer to that? Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so either. He's just like, I'm a confederate, and I think spiders are pretty yeah. spooky. <laughs> um, so for for the listener, I mean, I assume you have at least watched the movie. Um, early on in the film uh, and book, uh, they are trying to find McGrath, and so they follow him. Oh, I want to talk about the head. So they find the head of the scientist from the first scene of the movie, the guy who is decapitated. And I felt like this set way too high a bar for how cool the like steampunk sci-fi elements of this movie were going to be, because it never really gets back to how outlandish this part is, um, which is that... In order to find their next clue, uh, West and Gordon take this decapitated head, and because it's just a widely known (laughs) scientific fact that the last image that a person sees is burned on their retina, they essentially shine... A true 19th century myth that has been 
Desperate. <laughs> oh yeah, I was so ready for someone to masturbate until they went blind. In this movie. <laughs> um, so they like backlight the eyes of this decapitated man so that they get. And I, I am not going to use the word picture because in the book they like say that it's like photographic quality. In the movie, it is like a matte painting of General McGrath. Like it like fully is paint. Um, then I, I don't remember if this happens in the movie, but in the book, they do essentially the CSI like enhance, <laughs> enhance on it <laughs> somehow, and then. Uh, in, in, in an honestly funny turn, they can't get a good enough image, and Will Smith uh, West holds glasses in front of the guy's eyes so that we can get a clear image of McGrath like holding this invitation to this party. So anyway, first of all, first off, I just thought that was too cool, too fun, <laughs> and that the movie like never got back to how ridiculous that was. Um, but then at the party. Something I just really loved in just how it it's in terrible taste, which is the whole joke, is that Loveless, who's like presumed dead, reveals that he's still alive by emerging from a float of Abraham Lincoln that is like the scanner's head, essentially shot from behind to create the illusion that Lincoln's brains are being blown out. <laughs> and then, at least in the movie, and this is a funny image, the Lincoln head blows up and Loveless in his wheelchair is inside the Lincoln body and he very tastelessly just sort of like pumps up and is like, you missed me? I'm back. Um, which is a perfect introduction to Kenneth Branagh's energy in the film. Like yeah. it is an energy that is not fully captured in the book because how could it be? He's impossible. he's probably the most delightful part of the movie. One hundred percent. Like he is not caught between tones at all. He, he knows he, like exactly he, sort of. Um, he's not trying to give any gravity to what he's doing. He understands the assignment, as they say. Yes. And he's like, oh, this is stupid. I can do that. <laughs> Classic. Um, so the the way that this party scene sort of climaxes, I, I think this is why I wanted to bring this up in the first place, is uh, Will Smith, or uh, James West, believes that Gordon is uh, once again cross-dressing. And so he essentially, like, assaults a woman because <laughs> he thinks it's Gordon. And he, he, you know, squeezes her breasts and gets in huge trouble. And, of course, he is a... Um, uh, you know, a person of color, and so he gets in a, a, an enormous amount of trouble. And and the way that Gordon handles this is that he pulls out a trick rope. Like, I mean, friggin', friggin' Spencer's gifts over here, you know? <laughs> pulls out, pulls out like a rubber rope, yells, hang him. He's the one who tables the idea. <laughs> there, It's not, it would make so much more sense if the crowd was like, Let's hang him. And Gordon was like, I have a rope. But instead, he goes, I have a rope. Hang him. And the crowd obliges, brings uh, Jim West outside. And then the trick in the book, at least, the reveal is that they do hang him. And the, the rope being a trick rope is like a bungee cord and he doesn't hang. I 
think that even with a trick rope, this is the most irresponsible plan possible. <laughs> There's so I, many I different ways West could have died anyway. At this point, to I mean, one, I think it's better than letting them hang him with real rope. Two, at this point, Artemis Gordon still does not like Jim West at all. Right. Jim West has spent like three days saying, what are you, gay? At <laughs> every opportunity. <laughs> so maybe if I was Artemis Gordon, who was like, oh, you don't want me to go in drag? Fine, I'll go as the butchest man who's ever lived. And then maybe make you scared that you will die. I kind of get where he's coming from. He's also from. ripped on all of his inventions since. And, and, and like, it's, fi- yeah. you know, and... Here he goes. He throws him. He throws him the rope. Another one of uh, I should have added that to the list. Another one of genius uh, inventions that Artemis invents to save Jim West, who he doesn't even really like. Now, Max, I want to be clear. I'm not arguing that the rope. Doesn't oh, oh work. okay, okay. Well, <laughs> I, I'm arguing yeah. that instructing the crowd to hang him, that bringing that idea up. Puts him in a in a huge amount of danger, even if the rope is fake. <laughs> okay, but what if someone else at the party had suggested, "Let's shoot mm. him"? Isn't it safer to step yeah. in first when you already have a safe solution? Okay. Huh? Hey, I mean, and it worked. It did work. <laughs> Dead. That's um, a part. That's a part where the. Um, Maybe the movie plays a little better than the book there. Like it's just so entertaining in the movie. Like the like you said, the redneck part, you know, the 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 drumming monologue, and then like the escape is so fun. And then like he's like hang him, and he's looking at Gordon, and Gordon's just like, yeah, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. And and then he hops on the horse to like. You know, get get away, go. You know, be the macho guy, and, and and like, I'm gonna get ahead of this mission. And then of course, Selma Hayek has her like, you know, he's so she says something very particular. It's not brave, it, but she, you know, she says something like he's so brave or something. And Kevin Klein just goes, "Yes, he's an idiot." It's just, I, I fucking I don't know. <laughs> yes. Kevin Klein is perfect. Like, that is like the one perfectly paced sequence in the movie. Like it's so snappy. It's like every joke is yeah. perfectly timed. The cut from hang him with a rope to them like dragging yep. him out the front door. Well, he's like, hey guys, hey guys, perfect. It's great. Oh yeah. my god. I mean, there's something, there's something fucked up about like making a film where you're having um, a black man deal with the prospect of being hanged by like doing stand-up right. oh god like, right there's yeah something real and it says something deeply sinister about like i don't know the relationship we have between like race and entertainment sure. Sure, <laughs> you that's know? interesting no i think there's a lot of weird things that like that that were said in this book that kind of tie into what's going on today is that is that weird to say like like artemis's white like his his white guilt and like this like I I just want to understand you I just I just want to know what it was like to be a slave and then it's just like Will's just like dude you're never gonna understand that man so like quit trying to like you know appease to me and just like just listen man just and I just feel like that's a huge theme of what's going on today man is like we have a lot of people who are like look I know what's going on here I know it's and it's like we don't you know i think this is a lot a lot about like sitting back and and listening to the story which jim west has one and I, it's just interesting and then there is an eerie line in this uh in this thing where um hmm it it 
it it's um something something about uh america ever being great or something and it's just it it sounds so eerily to make america great again and it's yeah i was just i read that i go wow who knew in like 20 years this was not going to age that well and this was going to have some weird implication to like trumpism and and whatever but yeah this movie came out when i was nine years old so like i don't know if um that stuff i mean i assume that stuff was already brewing to a certain extent right and so like how much was that in the published public consciousness that Bruce Bethy could have been like, people will get it if I toss this in here. Mm. Like people will understand that this is a dangerous rhetoric. Or was he just like looking back into history and going like, well, this is how it goes. I, I, I mean, it could be both. I, yeah, it <laughs> could, I, I, I think if there is any of the first part, it, it might've been more on a subconscious level in a sense. Cause I feel, I, I, I see the latter more, but I, I don't know. You know, there is a lot of weird questionable stuff. I, I feel like Becky overall is more, of this ignorant guy and he's trying to navigate himself through a Western and he's trying to make it realistic, but entertaining at the same time. And he's sort of torn between these things. And a lot of times it's not landing. It it just isn't. I agree with you, but I think that he's like that. The stuff he's doing is kind of working in spite of the subject matter. He's been, you know, yoked with. Like, I, I I feel like, and I'm reading a little bit into, like, the narrative of Bruce, Bruce Bethke that I've established for myself. I mean, I put together, like, the little blurb about the guy at the beginning. I always come into these episodes with a little bit of an advantage on people in, like, having spent some time with the author, you know? Um, and the thing about Bethke is that his first story, uh, which his, like, short story that was widely acclaimed and and created the term cyberpunk it was based off of a like story treatment or an outline by uh asimov and it essentially it it, like existed in the uh irobot universe uh and he was basically like made his bones kind of playing around in someone else's sandbox before moving on and doing his own science fiction and I think, having not read that Asimov thing at all, that he probably learned a lot from Asimov's, like, kind of empathy and is trying to inject that here, but he's been saddled with a movie that is not only unempathetic, but, like, bigoted. So I agree that it doesn't yeah. work, but I, I I almost feel like Bethke is trying to move the needle in the correct okay. direction. That's fair. I do think that the book is like more empathetic than the movie, and the only thing that explains that is his touch as a writer. Whether or not it's successful or not, I do feel like he is trying to give more like emotional depth to some of these people in certain ways, and more like sympathy between them as opposed to just pitter-patter and banter totally yeah it and to max to what you were saying it does sadly feel a little dated too that like uh gordon hears about what happened to west family and he's like oh my god i'm so sorry i know this is so cynical of me but i feel like the 2021 version of that is is a white guy being like but that wasn't me. <laughs> that was like my ancestors. Oh, God. <laughs> oh. 
Yeah, yeah. I I really appreciate the historical context he he puts in a lot of a lot of these details. Like when he he'll sort of kind of go off on tangents about like, well this and this happened during the war. This happened during Vicksburg or whatever. And I there's a part of me that's like enjoys the the little history lesson that he get, that he gives along. So I do I do enjoy like when it when it goes off script in that in that way. But there's it, there's just some parts of it where I'm like this is totally detached, man. Like there especially when it comes to just like Jim West and like again like to like when he's like president wants to rap with me. I was like where did that line even how do you even like what? What is that like rap <laughs> Is this be- was it because Will Smith was a was a rapper or was it what like what? How yeah, old is what, that yeah, phrase? that's what I have. To yeah, ask. I was gonna it's say like, it, it could also be like when I watched Deadwood for the first time and I was like, why are they saying fuck? <laughs> and it turns out it's just because <laughs> that word was. And it not turns invented. out it's just because. No, wait, that one I think no, no, was no, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck is, fuck is old a, as hell. <laughs> oh, sorry. I I, I don't pick no, up no, on social okay. cues. Um, but, I didn't uh, deliver it too well. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, I was in the wrong when I thought that because the word just was around, and maybe rap as a colloquialism does was a thing. But even if it was, you have to understand that if you're writing the novelization of Wild Wild West, you're invoking something by having the Will Smith Yeah, yeah, there was just something, there was something so strange to me with that. It was like, it felt almost resentful. (laughs) He's like, great, I'm writing a movie novelization with Will fucking Smith in it. And it's like, I I don't know. That's what (laughs) I felt like when I read that. Yeah, there, and you did say he, he wrote this for a new roof, correct? He wrote it so that there, he could get a new roof for like his house. feels like some of yes. that energy into it sometimes, especially in those last chapters. It feels very wrapped up. It feels very like, okay, and you know what? Uh, it, Ooh, it's like, and the the scientist lady, uh, you know what? That that wasn't my father. That was my husband, and that's that's it. It just it felt like he was really trying to there trudge is through like, the last chapters. I I totally agree. There is like a thirty or 35 page chapter that is the penultimate chapter it really reminded me of like rushing to just be done with something where he basically in one chapter goes okay and the giant spider shows up and we got on it and now we're fighting and now we killed the guy and now we stopped the spider and it's all over and then there's like a one and a half page final chapter (laughs) yeah where he goes and everyone lived happily ever after (laughs) I am always disappointed when an author says like that book's shitty or that movie i made is no good i'm like the least you could say is like you know i tried to give it something and i've got a yeah. new out of it like it really bums me out to hear that he's like it's a piece of shit fuck it i wish i'd never written it the and there's, par- and there's parts of it that are definitely not pieces of shit it's actually there's actually parts yeah. of it that are really brilliant almost and you're like oh <laughs> like geez man okay um well yeah, yeah. Some pride I, in your writing, and it's Bella. funny, man. I I liked I I uh, I watched this movie with my girlfriend Zoe, and I after the Hollywood ending when they're you know they're taken off in the spider and they're into the sunset. Very you know, how else could it have ended, really, right? But the book, I I explained to her the ending of the book, uh, how it's kind of this Artemis Gordon zinger, and um, 
as you can tell, I love Artemis Gordon. And I was just like, you know, I don't know which <laughs> ending I prefer. And I, when I explained to her the book ending, she goes, that's so much better. That is so much better. The, and for those who don't know, the ending uh, um, basically is Selma Hayek's character taking off. And, uh, you know, she goes, well, you know, at least you guys have each other. You know, you found, you know, you found, you know, companionship. And Jim West, of all the people, goes, you know, she's right. And then Artemis Gordon goes, well, that's easy for you to say. She's not taking off in your dress or something. And it's just, it's just amazing. It's just amazing. It's just, I, I, I felt like if there was any true character besides like the blandness of like Selma Hayek's character in the book, I felt like Artemis Gordon probably stays the most true throughout this whole thing. I really like my letterbox review is mostly about Kenneth Branagh's energy, but I was very close to writing a letterbox review that was like, I think Artemis Gordon is maybe my favorite character of all time. Like, <laughs> something in Kevin Klein's yeah. performance and the writing of that character and the, the stuff from the book that I was carrying over, I was just like, I love him. And <laughs> this had a fun, this and Men in Black had a phenomenon with Burger King toys. As I was telling people uh, about, <laughs> that I was about to do this, and I was like, you saw Wild Wild West, right? And then... <laughs> some guy goes oh yeah and he goes i still got the toys and then one guy comes up kind of in mid-conversation like not knowing what we're talking about but we go you've seen wild wild west he goes oh i had the toys and we were like whoa we were like were the toys bigger than the movie could have been i don't know (laughs) just it's kind of tying the things up on beth key like you said hannah he he does characterize this book as being like a failure or or sort of an artistic compromise as this podcast goes on i I just feel like i could never in my entire life land the gig of writing one of these books because every time we i i mean and i I will i'll buy the first edition of whichever one you write but the the thing is that every time we do a movie whether it's you know jurassic park or battleship it's like when I research these people, they always have these incredible pedigrees. I mean, the, the, the Gremlins guy, like, wrote all of Steve Martin's movies. Like, you know, like, it's, it's just, it, it's insane how whenever we look at the people writing these novelizations, it ends up being often the least profile thing they did in, like, an amazing career, you know? Um as we sort of wind down here, have you guys uh, seen and do you have thoughts on the Wild Wild West music video? Damn, man. I believe that Wild Wild West is Will Smith's best movie song, hands down. Perhaps his best song at all. So the music video also fucking rules. So, Max, uh, generally to close things out, we talk about, like, what level of person would you recommend this novelization to? Would you... Never recommend it to anyone ever, because it's such trash. Would you recommend it to someone who enjoyed the film? Uh, or would you, the highest praise possible that we've, I don't think, ever given to anything, which is, would you recommend this book to someone who hasn't watched the film? Um, hmm. Jeez. There's a part of me that wants to say I would recommend the book if they'd seen the film. There's a part of me that wants to say that, but I know the egomaniac that I am would just explain the parts of the book 
that are not in the movie, especially the the Artemis Gordon John <laughs> Wilkes Booth twist. I've already done that. I've already done it. Um, so honestly, I would not recommend this book. There's still a part of it that felt like um, homework, so to speak. <laughs> there was like it was such a ride. There's no doubt it was a ride, but there was also this part of it where it's like Jesus, man, like. Some of those chapters, you know, particularly, I, I even mentioned them, like, in my notes, 15, chapter 15, for some reason, and chapter 9, um, I went on autopilot mode for the most part. It's it, There's some parts that are hard to kind of get through. Um, so I would not recommend this book, um, sadly. Uh, it was really fun for me, but I just don't think it would be fun for many other people. I'm I'm looking now. Fifteen is like the one where Grant uh, is trying to christen the railroad, yeah, and the spike yeah, uh, keeps coming. Yeah, out. I I think it's that. I think it's that one because it's just so. It, it, it's just so like I just remember chapters being like the movie and being like, okay, I know what's gonna happen, and it's like even after years of not seeing this movie, I still kind of remember this part. Um, but there's just there's a couple snooze fest chapters just just two from what i I put chapter 15 bored out of my skull and then uh chapter nine i tried to i oh no no i i put chapter nine went completely brain dead after this chapter Um, these are all from legitimately uh in the moment notes here um uh yeah but it's a fun book there's no doubt about that but i i mean i I just doubt somebody's going to get past that first sentence of chapter one. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes sense. Yeah. Hannah, how you feeling? Um, I'm feeling more generous, but I think you make a strong argument, Max. Like the thing is like, I love a movie novelization. So like if I had not read this, I would recommend it like to myself, basically as a person who likes novelizations is intrigued by what this movie could offer me and likes the movie. I think people like me like barely exist. Um, I also think like when I was a child, like nine years old, I read a ton of movie novelizations and this movie didn't inspire me to seek out the novelization, which I think says something. And I don't think this book would have given me anything as a child. Um, or I think if I watched this movie today and I was like, ooh, I want more of this Artemis Gordon guy, I'm in love with him, then maybe I would read the book because <laughs> I am in love with him. So I don't know. I wouldn't super recommend it. Like I would recommend it to the most like specific niche of human being who maybe doesn't exist. It's not good enough to recommend on its own merits. So few people like the movie that like, why would you subject them to a thing they already don't like that is not as fun, but is perhaps just like more interesting. Is that worth it to most people? Probably not. I, I basically agree. I, I, I feel like the, Bethke tries to add some stuff to this. He tries to add some dimensionality to... He basically tries to add themes that are, are sort of hinted at in the movie, but but not explored. And while I appreciate that he's doing it, the, the book just isn't... It's not giving me much more than the movie. It's... It is and, giving and on me more homophobia, of, which I want You think of. the book is more homophobic? It stood out to me more. Okay. Yeah. I don't think it actually is. Like, I think it's probably the same level of homophobic, but somehow like reading in print every time Artemis Gordon does anything for Jim West to be like, that's girl stuff. Or like, what are you yes. doing, cooking? And I was like, I don't want that. It's like, that not needlepoint, my good sir. 
this is needlepoint. He's not even like, boy. he's not even like, it is needlepoint. What do you care? He's like, ah, it's not. I would never do that. <laughs> but he does. He does do needlepoint. <laughs> Um, well oh my god anyway i'm sorry that really sticks with me because i think that's a certain kind of like 90s homophobia that we've gotten over or we do it differently now but i really find it distasteful to be like that's woman's work how dare you what are you you know oh a hundred really stands out to me in a way that i really chafe against these days one of the first things i wrote down when when reading the book was this is meant to be taken in visually um I think every action scene in the movie, when written down, it's kind of hard to even understand what's going on. Like, with the train stuff, when Will Smith's, like, jumping from, like, sides of trains to undercarriages of trains, I'm going, how is he doing that? And then, when they're on the spider at the end, I'm just not really understanding, like, where are the places you can fall off the spider? How, you know... Everything. Well, in re- how about when they describe the spider? I, I couldn't tell you what I had. I think I have it sort of marked. So I, uh, but he he says something like he describes it. It sounds completely made up. Um, I I, I yeah. It, his description of the of the spider is very poor. I'll I'll just say that. And I, the key moments of the movie are better in the movie than they are in the book on the whole. Like, even the very Definitely. end when Loveless falls off the spider. In the book, he just falls off the spider. In the yes. movie, they have, like, a moment that is, like, then justified and as a character beat and feels good that he's like, and now you'll die. Like, oh, this made me laugh better. because, at the as you're alluding to, at the end, West is hanging from Loveless, who's hanging from the thing in the movie. And yes. then Loveless falls to his death and West grabs onto another corpse that's like hanging. And that's the end of the scene is him being like, woo, made it. And I thought to myself, that's the beginning of like an 80 minute survival thriller. Is like, (laughs) you're hanging from someone's boot trying to get back up. Like that's like 127 hours. Like after that, that, uh, my girlfriend was like, how does he get back up? (laughs) I was just like, you know. Yes. 90s action movie you know they don't they don't get that far he he gives himself like the sigh of relief when he's in mortal peril (laughs) it's not like artemis gordon is the one holding him up and can pull him up it is literally a dead person who he who was he holding on to was that knife guy yes because knife guy looked like he fell completely out and his chain went down i started to think about this i go who is he possibly holding on to because knife guy went off. He and I saw his chain drop. I don't know if it caught on to something. I don't know. I Does Betke have an answer? <laughs> he didn't write he didn't write he didn't direct the movie. Does it? Uh, uh no, there th- Betke does he, he, did, what if yeah, he, he just fucking fell off that goddamn spider. Um Yeah, so d- basically my recommendation is wouldn't recommend because I think ultimately while Betke tries, it's it's just a lesser form of of the movie um so yeah uh max thank you so much for for coming on uh to authorize if you want to is there anything you want to plug before you take off uh currently uh working on like the last like not the last 10 but we're doing episodes 91 through 100 on on uh the max and tony show and uh that's happening very soon so just look out for that and uh, 
And where where can I find that show? So just type in the Max and Tony show. We're on Google Podcasts. We are on Spotify, Apple, and uh, SoundCloud. Um, and and what's what's the like central conceit of the show again? So you know, it's it, I hate this SNL skit. There's this <laughs> father and son podcast thing, and I'm just like, well, got us. Um, but it, you know, there <laughs> there of course is a father and son dynamic to it, but it's not. I, I hope not cliche or, or too corny or anything. I, I think that me and my dad come from really uh, different, you know, angles of, of, of life in a, in a sense. So I feel like we bring something different. I don't think it's like, you know, older generation versus younger generation. Um, I think it's more like, you know, just uh, what we see from our perspectives. And uh, it's I think it's surprising what you'd find uh how similar we are and how different we are in and in, in ways that you couldn't imagine so if you'd like to uh catch up on those old episodes the max and is there but uh we're working on the last episodes to get to 100 and then when we get to 100 uh we're gonna just keep going but you know <laughs> 100, ep- 100 episode. Congratulations. Uh, who can Absolutely. say it? You know? um, thank you. Thank you. And we're hoping 100 is going to be live. So, um, you know. Nice. Uh, we'll reach out to you guys and, and see what's up. But uh, Yeah. But well, you. it's a, it's a pleasure having, having you on. Also, this is great. I, I love talking to you. I love talking to your dad as well. If you yeah. guys ever wanted to come on together, if you could convince him to read a book <laughs> like this. I Man, that's the that's the challenge. I don't. Oh, dude, <laughs> that is not his cup of Many tea. Many great I, movies I, have novelizations. Maybe he can play the 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 Andrew role where he doesn't doesn't read the book, but he watched the movie. I read yeah. the book. On. Oh, Andrew um, Marco. No, no. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Not Get not off sorry, my case. Sorry. Not <laughs> only did Overby read the book, he's still looking at the pictures. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I had to take one one shot at Andrew before I left the podcast. Totally, I know you can't read. Anyway, uh, I'm seeing guys. I'm seeing a lady in a dress. Who's this? I just haven't read read the book or watched the movie. Wow. Yes, Artemis Gordon. He was smart, wasn't he? Um, all right. Well, thank you, uh, all of our dedicated listeners, to uh, tuning into Authorized. Uh, next week we will be back, of course with Deborah Cheel's uh, novelization of Alfonso Cuaron's Great Expectations um, with, uh, with Liz Falstro. Uh, but yeah, have a, have a wonderful life. I hope that everything you're aspiring to do comes to pass, but that also at the moment when it comes to pass, you don't lose purpose. Wow. Good night. <laughs>
I guess the Blockbuster Movie Awards performance where he rode a horse on stage more than I remember the music video. <laughs> but that was amazing. Oh, Here, I'll, I'm going to stop the share until I have it going. Uh, Andrew, you can cut around this. Andrew, of course, uh, gone but not forgotten uh, <laughs> due to internet issues. This is like truly probably going to not work too because Zoom can't handle... Uh, excitement any any excitement we could all, all load like, it separately and go one two three play which we all know works perfectly <laughs> on zoom oh my god without without fail all right hold on okay hold on share screen google chrome Let's see if this yeah are you able yeah. to see this video Yes. Hey, what happened here? It won't full screen for me. That's okay. So we're going to watch it. There <laughs> we go. I hear it. It's a little choppy for me, but it's okay. We're not supposed to hear it, right? Uh, you, I can okay. hear it in my headphones. <laughs> I can't hear it. This but is, the um, thing I want to point out here is that... Will Smith is better than the costumes he wears in the movie. That's funny. Yes, 100%. And then the, the other thing I want to point out is that, like, just like with Men in Black, he's been cast in a two-hander, yeah. and the other person is just, like, fully exiled right, yeah. from the music video. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's replaced this, him with... Is that... I don't know if, if that is... I apologize, but I don't know if that is... With Drew Hill or, you know, whoever... But he has replaced Kevin Clark. Sorry, I'm not, I'm not clear on what you're... I'm saying the second person in this music video, who is not Kevin oh, Klein, yeah. are the other musicians. But Will Smith's like, no, there's a second yes. guy here, it's him. And you're like, well, that's not Kevin Klein. <laughs> I wish that Kenneth so Branagh was in this that, music yeah. video. As, like, Kenneth Branagh uh, shows up in, like, let me see if I can find it archived clips it looks like so there's far. an interstitial yeah, here that's that's where why I the hate, song stops and yeah, they go to I the party hate, uh music videos that are tied into movies because then they take clips from the movie and they act like it's part of the music video and you're like eh lazy <laughs> so in in this one for the listener he shows up essentially to the party from <laughs> and a stevie wonder playing the piano <laughs> And it is a much more racially diverse party. Oh, is that, Car is that Carlton? Yes, yes. He is not the one black man. But <laughs> Kenneth Branagh is only used in, like, stock footage to suggest that it, he is around it, the corner. Wait, but is Car <laughs> that's Carlton. Carlton, ba wait, I'm sorry. I'm, ba I'm blanking on, I'm blanking on his real name here. Um, Fresh Prince Carlton. So, that's the rest of the videos that then they're dancing at the party. Myself. And watch it. And now he's in a white suit, which would be amazing. I remember. Movie. Okay, I yeah, oh, well. I did remember the white suit in the music video. I just okay, I just remember the marketing phenomenon that was Wild Wild West and Men in Black. They were they again. I keep mentioning these, but they really did go back to back, and like and they and Men in Black also had Burger King toys. I I had the little uh the duh neuralizer thing, whatever that was. Um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, I just think this was like such an era when I look back at this, like the music videos, the, the you know the the action figures, the one like not just the Burger King ones, like the I had an Artemis Gordon legit figure. That's probably why I love them. 
Um, probably the most boring toy, right? Like it's just some average-looking white guy in like a. Could it become a a Grant action figure? I. You know what action figure would probably be the coolest would be the McGrath and then like having some slime fall out of his like horn or something. Oh, the slime ear is so gross. I think I had the Burger King toy that is Artemis Gordon on his velocipede. Yes. Yeah, wait. Now I got to Google the toys. Oh, wow. And there's one that's like a little projector thing. There's off the like horse? a fancy magic pen. There I have is the one, one where Will Smith flies off there, the horse. There, yes, that is present. There is a spider that has a little Kenneth Branagh yep. driving it. Oh my it. god! And then there's a carriage that has Selma Hayek on it in a much more conservative dress <laughs> than she ever wears. Oh wow! And they they gave away the sunglasses. That's that's pretty cool. Oh, that's cool. Those itty bitty sunglasses. Damn, this movie rules. Five out of five stars. I apologize for giving it less. I was wrong. 